When we start looking at the smallest things that make up our world, we normally have the habit to narrow things down. And we can narrow things down to particles of physical matter such as atoms, electrons, protons, and eventually all that breaks down into energy. And energy has a frequency, which surprisingly, all human beings are very good at identifying. We normally hear that time and patience, along with extreme exercise and doing crazy diets, like starving yourself, is probably one of the answers to getting optimum health. But what if you can hack into better health without suffering? Today, I want to talk to you about hacking into frequencies and how that can help heal the body, plus put us onto a road to better health. And to do this, I've brought on a show today a biomedical scientist, an engineer, an inventor. He's a professor at the University of North Carolina, holds PhD in bioengineering and biomedical engineering from the University of Michigan. Robert Dennis, welcome to the show. Thank you for inviting me. Uh, it's lovely to have you. Looking at your um, credentials, wow, I was so impressed. You've got everything under your belt. So my question to you is, how did you get into bioengineering anyway? Because you graduated in 1996, is that correct? That's, that's correct. And just as far as my credentials go, I can assure you that opinions vary. <laughs> there are uh, definitely some people who disagree with me, right? So as, as we talk, you know, keep that in mind. Um, but uh, to answer your question, how did I get into biomedical engineering? <clears throat> I started in 1987 as a mechanical engineer. Uh, I worked for a little while in the automotive industry, and I thought to myself, you know, I'm not really helping anything here. I'm just making, you know, gaskets for cars. So I went back to graduate school, and I started doing whatever I thought was most interesting. And, and helpful is not quite the right word, but, but you know, beneficial for people to work on, mm -hmm. right? And so I worked on a master's degree in oceanography, which is when I learned about global climate change, you know, very controversial, but we were talking about it sort of in closed rooms back in the 19, late 1980s, early 1990s. And um, <clears throat> I, I nearly finished a master's degree in that. I nearly finished a master's degree in physics. So those are all things that, you know, those are unfinished degrees, right? So you don't list them, but I actually did about four of those. And, and, and as I started working on stuff, I started gravitating towards biomedicine because I thought I could, could do the most useful things in that area. Mm -hmm. And I just naturally started taking classes in it and, and basically accidentally before I knew it, I, I got a master's degree in it. Was bioengineering a big thing back in the day? Well, they didn't even know what to call it. And back in the day, nobody could define it. They would say, well, bioengineering, is that making um, like MRI machines or is that developing new viruses or is it tissue engineering or is it, uh, you know, medical devices to support people, you know, like, like life support devices. If you go into a hospital now and you say, you know, you want to talk to a biomedical engineer, you're going to talk to a person who's basically a mechanic who keeps like the instruments running in the hospital, you know, make sure the batteries are charged mm -hmm. and stuff like that. So there's still some disagreement as to what biomedical engineering even is as, as a field and, and um, different universities have defined it differently. Like at some universities, they look at it as a material science spinoff. Others look at it as like a spinoff of electrical engineering. Some look at it as a spinoff of systems physiology. And that's actually my approach is that it's kind of a combination of 
systems physiology and mechanical and electrical engineering. And what kept you busy post-1996? What did you do after graduating? I mean, getting a PhD. So I uh, actually was a, was a research scientist at University of Michigan at starting in 1996. And then I became a research scientist, a visiting research scientist at MIT and Harvard. They have a program there called HSD, Health Sciences and Technology, where you, okay. MD and a, and a, you can get your MD and PhD in some technical field. So I was on the research staff there, and I had a laboratory at MIT from about uh, 2000 to 2003. And I wrote, you know, wrote a lot of grants for DARPA, did a lot of research for DARPA on developing uh, tissues. Uh, you know what DARPA is, right? It's uh, a lot of people see it as a sinister. Uh, I would like you to tell our audience because at this part of the world, um, many people won't be uh, much familiarized with it. So just okay. give us a brief explanation. Yeah. So DARPA is actually the the agency in the United States that invented and by funding it, the internet. So mm -hmm. DARPA started. It's it's short for the Defense Advanced Research Projects Agency in the United States, and it started right at the event of Sputnik where a lot of people okay. in the United States were shocked and they said, well, how can the Russians be ahead of us in space, you know, space travel, space research? So they formulated this agency and it doesn't have any sinister um, really underpinnings at this point. It was just the, the mission of the agency was to never be technologically surprised again. Right. Mm -hmm. So their whole thing and they, they would fund, they would fund research anywhere outside the United States, inside the United States. There were, programs that they funded in China and Russia to do research, but they wanted to be involved in oh, what people were doing. Oh, yeah, it's a very little known fact. But uh, it's not like they have their own laboratory or anything like that. What what DARPA really is, is a, is a group of uh, program managers that goes out and finds interesting technologies and tries to develop them. Like the technology I was working on with DARPA was how do you rebuild injured soldiers? You know, how do you make new arms and legs and, you know, take care of head injuries and stuff like that. So they're really pushing primarily to be, you know, in the lead on every technological front. So they do things like they invent stealth. So some of what they do are offensive weapons. But mm -hmm. uh, much of what they do is stuff related to medical, you know, health, information, all kinds of stuff. And that's where I really started working a lot at MIT and, and Michigan sort of together. I'd spent two weeks at MIT, two weeks at Michigan. So from 1996 to about 2003, that's what I did, was just basic research in, in um, tissue engineering. And at the same time, around 1996, I was doing some consulting for NASA down at Johnson Space Center on PEMF, which is re the reason you ended up calling me here or inviting me on your show. This is, the, this is the reason, yeah, I was just about to say, this is the reason that I wanted to have a conversation with you about PEMF. Right. That's right. what caught my attention the most. So, Robert, in the last two years, um, last two or three years, I've tried, I normally try my best um, to keep much distance between myself and most of the electronic devices that I use. And one big reason for that is EMF or electromagnetic fields, which comes from wireless routers, microwaves, cell phones. And these things, as you know, can harm your biology in many other ways. EMFs can alter DNA. It can change things on a genetic level. And um, what happens is you don't, you don't like your life as much as you do before. And um, for the longest period of time, I had this confusion about 
PEMF and EMF. Am I the only one or do you find more people who confuse these terms Oh, people do all together? Absolutely. That's a totally legitimate question because I, I actually got involved in PEMF by talking to some friends of mine who are physicists working on the effects of electromagnetic fields on animals and people that live too close to power lines, right? And that's yep. when I was sort of working a little bit on the side with some people in 1994, 1995. I had done some electrophysiology research for my dissertation, 1996. And so, you know, that's what they were doing. And then in 1996, NASA actually asked me to do consulting for them on PEMF. And, and my response was, well, you know, it's, it's mostly harmful when you start emitting radio waves and stuff into living systems. And, and I don't really think there's that much benefit to it. And, and I told them at the time, I th said, I think it's mostly just uh, like, you know, research uh, and, and commercial fraud, people just trying to sell you a device that's actually harmful. Mm -hmm. Sort of like the snake oils of the 19th century yeah. that were sort of like, you know, strychnine and terrible things like that. Because the people would definitely feel them, right? They, they would think, you know, if it was a low enough dose not to kill them, people were actually thinking, oh, this is helping me. So, you know, I, I sort of in my mind, I put PEMF in that same in that same bundle with, you know, dangerous things. Um, but, you know, trying to be open-minded as a scientist, I went ahead and did the experiment, you know, designed the experiments and the equipment for NASA um, in 1996. We did the experiment in 97 and 98. And it turned out that it had very, very positive effects if you used PEMF in the right kind of range. And, and, and when you're talking about frequencies, it's really important yeah. that you're thinking about ranges of frequencies. Um, when, we, when we talk about PEMF, just so people get an idea, can you tell us what kind of ranges of hertz frequency are yeah, we yeah. talking about? I'm going to do that right now. I'm going to tell you. I actually okay. posted this on YouTube, and you can look up uh, my name, Robert Dennis, EMF, and RFI, and you'll find a YouTube video where I have graphics and stuff, and I explain the electromagnetic spectrum to people. But, but this is where PEMF and, and you know, EMI, electromagnetic interference, which is, I think, harmful. But PEMF, like the clinical version of it, are beneficial. And here's why. This is, this is where frequencies matter. It's like, where are you on the electromagnetic spectrum in terms of frequency? And there are some areas that are pretty much essential for life. I'll go through these in a second. You need electromagnetic energy just to live. Life cannot exist without it, as far as we know. And then there are other areas that are absolutely damaging to life. And we can go through that spectrum pretty easily. At, at, at uh, you know, some frequencies you have infrared, right? Deep red, red so red that you can't even see it. That's heat. That's warmth. Without warmth, you have nothing but rocky ice balls without anything living hmm. So you must have that part of the electromagnetic spectrum. You must have radiated heat from a sun in order to have anything other than a frozen rock floating in space. Okay? It's really that simple. And, and lower frequencies are absolutely essential for signaling within the cell and then along neurons. So frequencies in the range of, you know, a few hertz to a few hundred hertz, that's something that's biologically derived, not from the sun, not from your environment, but biology makes signals in that range so that it can communicate with itself within and, and be 
between cells. It's 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 just like chemical signaling, right? But you have to have it so that you can have a coordinated system that can be alive. These are things that are really essential, right? And then and then living systems can then um, start to use other parts of the electromagnetic spectrum that are more energetic, right? As a general rule, you get higher frequencies, more energy. And to a certain extent, more energy can be good. Like, for example, plants use the more energy of green light, mostly, to, um, you know, well, actually blue and red, to, to uh, photosynthesize, right? Mm-hmm. Absolutely essential for animal life. you got to have plants. <laughs> you know, um, okay. Photosynthesis is one of these things that just is absolutely fundamental to life, and it requires electromagnetic energy in a certain range what's called a visible spectrum. And then animals, at least in four different evolutionary paths, took up that um, rhodopsin-based chemistry and and developed vision. So vision, although not absolutely essential to life, it's very, very useful for for living organisms to be able to see things. And that's an electromagnetic thing. So there are, you know, I, I suppose there's a few other areas where we're on the electromagnetic spectrum that seem to be very, very helpful or fundamentally essential for life. Then you've got areas that are not so, so helpful, right? Like cosmic rays and you know, X-rays. X-rays, exactly. Um, gamma rays. That's all stuff that you ought to stay away from. And then there's stuff in the transition zone, like, for example, certain parts of the ultraviolet spectrum right some of them allow you to actually use that high level of energy to make vitamin d which is good for you Uh, Mm -hmm. much of it of the same radiation will kill you so so what you really have with a lot of radiation is what's called radiation hormesis right which hormesis is the effect where a little bit of something is beneficial like a little bit of stress allows you to exercise but if you Mm -hmm. if somebody drops like a minivan on you that's no longer exercise right that's too much stress and you know it's not beneficial to you so a little bit of stress of the right kind can be beneficial and this is what's true for electromagnetism so starting kind of with a realization of that in the in the late 90s early 2000s my goal was to say can i reduce the energy of pemf to the absolute minimum so that you get just the benefit and none of the harm and that's that's what i've been doing for 20 23 or 24 years and um, for those of you who are listening and they're trying to wrap your heads around it what Dennis is trying to say is that there are some things in life some things which have a very high energy frequency things like x-ray which can go up to a quintillion um, and yeah that's a number like a big number that's a uh, up to that up to that range and then you have other things like your cell phones and wireless routers and microwaves which are somewhere on the 10 billion hertz i guess yeah and um these they have different functions so like if they're ionizing like the x-ray they they have enough energy to break electrons or atoms which then charges them and um that's how that's how they affect your cells mm-hmm. over a long period of time and with pemf what caught my attention the most was that it's a non-invasive way to to help deal with so many things like PMF and some research has shown to help with injuries, chronic pain, um, even mental issues like depression, mm-hmm. um, things like diabetes, because it's on such a low um, frequency, mm-hmm. like somewhere between 5 to 5 to 30 hertz, I believe. Well, 
there are some um, there are some patented and even FDA approved forms of PEMF that are higher frequency, but their effectiveness is really questionable. They're like maybe twenty percent effective, and if they work, they give you maybe a twenty percent benefit. Um, but you find that, the, and then there's some in the thousand hertz range that are patented and. And they're a little bit more effective and a little bit less harmful. But if you get down into the range of about 5 hertz to about 100 hertz, maybe, that's really low frequency for electromagnetism. Um, that works really well. But what you, uh, that seems to work really well. I mean, you would not believe the numbers that I see when I do research. I mean, in terms of reducing pain, <clears throat> about 93.5% of people, if you... Not, about 93% of people with really severe crippling chronic pain can uh, can see almost complete relief, you know, within a couple of weeks of using very low frequency PEMF if it's designed correctly. So this brings you into the into the kind of complicated. This is sort of like electrical engineering and physics that that people don't <clears throat> easily understand. They can say the word frequency, right? And, and it sounds pretty technical, and a lot of PEMF marketers will use that word to try to make it sound to you like they know something, but many of them don't really know anything technical. But the real frequency that you want to look at for PEMF is not how many pulses per second, right? That's that's usual. So the number of pulses per second needs to be in the range of somewhere between maybe three or four. You can go a little below five. Three or four up to 100. You need to be in that range. Mm -hmm. But then the real frequency you need to look for is how quickly the electromagnetic field changes for each pulse. So it has to change really, really fast and then go back down to zero really, really fast. And then 99% of the time it's turned off. It's not even on. So you get a little pulse, like a little pip and then nothing. And then a little pip and then nothing because it has to happen really fast. And the reason for that is if you and I posted this hundreds of times and if you want to check me and do the math on everything you can but basically if you do the calculus okay if you're willing to do the calculus mm -hmm. when you look at these really sharp narrow pulses that are coming at 5 to 100 pulses per second if you take the slope of that pulse how quickly it's turning on and turning off you can actually take the um, the derivative of that and it will tell you how much electrical energy you're putting into the cells and tissues. It's called induction. It's been known for okay. 120 years, right? Mm -hmm. So with with that rate, that rate is the real frequency you're looking for. And that's what I discovered working with NASA is that there's, and NASA and then a, a bunch of experiments I've done since then, there's actually a rate for the rise and fall of the electromagnetism that directly affects cells using the same mechanism that cells communicate with, right? So that and that is yeah, it's that essential low frequency electronic uh, electrochemical communication that cells use okay. and actually go in there. And it's not that you have to depolarize neurons. That's not really the seat of the communication. It seems to be something going on with the membranes of all cells, like the membranes, the cell membranes, and the organelles of all cells. And this is where we start to step into the zone of the unknown. It's really not well described yet exactly mm -hmm. how that mechanism works it's called transduction how do we transduce how do we change transduce is like a like a latin 
construct that comes from carry across, like you carry something across a bridge. So how do you carry across the electromagnetic energy into some biological effect at the cellular level? And, and while we know quite a bit about that, we don't really know how PEMF is, is sending a signal to cells that's really beneficial. And here's the thing. Most PEMF products really do seem to help people. They really do. But the real truth is nobody knows exactly why. And that's really hard for a lot of people to wrap their heads around, you know. What are your theories on why? Oh, yeah. Since you've been doing this for a very long time. I'm, I'm happy to hypothesize as long as everybody realizes. Yeah, let's listen to some hypothesis. Educated guess, right? So there are these things called G proteins. And there's mm -hmm. like hundreds of them that cross the cell membrane. And they're known to be involved in signaling. And there are many of them that are known to be electrically sensitive. Mm -hmm. And they don't know how they work. And I think this is basically one way that they work is if they see the 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 microcurrent that is generated by an electric pulse that's changing at the right rate it will mm -hmm. actually activate this transmembrane protein and cause a signal to be propagated in the cell and and when that happens if you're activating the right uh, the, the right receptors, you can do things like, you know, turn on and turn off inflammation and you can do other kinds of things signaling wise. So, you know, the energy that we're using is very, very low. As you, you know, you pointed out correctly at the very high end, you get ionizing radiation. And then I think just below that, you can get a lot of noise and confusing information. We're talking about like wireless routers and stuff that's not really ionizing, right? So it's a lot of gibberish. So imagine you're trying to have a phone call between you and somebody else. And it's kind of an important call, right? It might be life or death, but there's a huge amount of noise in the background. I think that's how some electromagnetism interferes with cell function by simply scrambling the communications of the cells, okay? But if you have your PEMF down at the very low level, then cells know how to transduce and interpret those kinds of signals. And so mm -hmm. my, my idea, and this is this was kind of the, the thing that kind of was the breakthrough idea for me, was at my lab, <coughs> excuse me, at MIT, um, I was doing some experiments on cell development, and I was able to, um, you know, cell and tissue development, and it occurred to me that, you know, um, this was a combination between experiments at Michigan and MIT, um, because I was working with a lot of people. It's not like I was doing this by myself because uh, it's very complicated. But the question is, what kinds of, of signals are sent to a, a developing fetus, a developing embryo? What kinds of electromagnetic signals are sent? And it turns out those signals are really, really essential for the development of the musculoskeletal system, for all systems in the body. But in particular, if you don't have the right signals being sent, you can't develop muscles and bones properly, right? So what I did then was I, I did the calculus to try to say, okay, if I'm putting in a pulse, how does that pulse transform using calculus, which actually is just a simple derivative, um, <clears throat> into the type of signal that a developing vertebrate would use for developing its musculoskeletal system. And that's actually the type of PEMF that I have found is most effective um, in getting cells and tissues to, to regenerate, to heal themselves, to reduce inflammation. It's exactly based upon a calculus transformation that transforms the PEMF signal into the kind of signals that your body would use 
for developing and maintaining the musculoskeletal system. That's exactly what it is. And, and it doesn't surprise me that if you generate that signal again and you feed it back into the body again at a later point in life, it's going to interpret the signal the same way. And it's going to enhance. That is very interesting. I think that's a really, I, I, I feel really comfortable about that hypothesis. Even if it's wrong, it's, that's okay. We can prove it wrong. But, you know, but it, it makes a lot of sense to me, right? It's like a fundamental signal generated in, in vertebrates, maybe all animals, but certainly, certainly mammals, okay, um, that sends the signal like, you know, hey, I'm a functioning musculoskeletal system and I need to set my cells and tissues in the direction of growth and development. And I think if you apply PEMF correctly, that's, that's the result. The cells will start to act that way. And I think as we get older, we get less and less sensitive to that internal signal and we start to develop these age-related um, inflammatory diseases. Degener yeah, degenerative and inflammatory diseases. There's about 300 of them, right? And I think it largely comes down to being becoming increasingly insensitive to this signal of growth and development. So I think that all organisms at any age, they have this balance between, okay, do we configure the system to be one of growth and development or one of, of degeneration? And Typically between anabolism and catabolism. Yeah, that's exactly right. And I, I think that the electrical signaling that we is known physiologically has something to do with this, right? And... And you yeah. can see it anecdotally. It's like the more you exercise, the more you move, the more you're generating these signals and, and the healthier your body is. So, you know, why is it that your brain and your liver should be more healthy if you lift weights? Well, part of it is that these kinds of signals affect more than just bones and muscles. They affect also tendons and ligaments, but also your skin and your major organ systems, right? So yeah, it's a complete systems biology, as you said. That's what it is. It affects everything. And I figured out... Um, a very simple hypothesis, not even a hypothesis, a way on how things work. And I want you to check it out and tell me if I'm right. Sure. So I look at it as like, let's say a new cell phone, like the iPhone or the Samsung, which has this way of wireless charging, right? Mm -hmm. And the wireless power transfer that happens also happens through like an induction system where you put your phone on a mat or you put your phone on a ring and then the electromagnetic field that's produced by the mat excites different electrons in the battery and it'll make them go around spinning in whichever direction and it recharges the battery from inside. Yeah. And PEMF is pretty similar, but it works by charging the cell and specifically the mitochondria. And it is this, the way the electrons spin inside the cell then gives it its transmembrane potential or energy. Would that be correct? Would, well, you know, people are the people have yeah, are, exactly that for a long time, right? Um, well, for several years anyway, three or four years, people have been talking about charging mitochondria and everything. And the answer is, I don't know. It it might um, that the the cell membrane potential is pretty tightly controlled by cells, unless you're unless you're got a pathologic problem that uh, you know. That, that causes it to be different. But I, I think it's kind of like a little bit like uh, um, works the other way around, okay? I think it's that if a cell starts to get the signals that it's healthy and developing, then it will tend to naturally charge and maintain its membrane potentials and its mitochondria, all of its uh, organelles, you know, um, mm -hmm. all of its organelles. So I think it's that it's the, it's the overall state of the cell 
that defines how well these things are are charged and maintained, and not the not necessarily the other way around. Um, it's 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 like you know, it's like anything else. You know, if you if you maintain it well overall, the individual parts seem to be maintained better. Like this is true for a car. You know, it's certainly true for your body. If you're generally doing overall maintenance, that's good then all the individual parts will benefit. So what I'm thinking is that the energy that's transferred from PEMF to a cell, and this is just my my feeling about it, having studied it for over 20 years, I, you know, I certainly could be wrong. I certainly have been wrong a lot about PEMF. Um, so, you know, but the way I see it is that what's being transferred is largely information and not energy in the sense of, like, charging a battery. It's more like mm-hmm. energy in the sense of memory in a computer. It's information, right? And does that information allow for the cells to themselves generate like ATP, uh, denitrine, triphosphate? Absolutely. If you're if you're um, if you're sending the right information, right, then then cells can activate certain pathways and deactivate other pathways. You know, if a cell is in a mode of growth, it's going to have it's going to be systematically activating pathways that relate to growth. And if a cell is systematically in a pathway of ap- apoptosis, right, it's going to systematically mm-hmm. activate pathways of decay. And it's not necessarily that activating those pathways directly makes the cell apoptotic or growth oriented. It's that the cell being growth oriented or apoptotic activates those pathways. It's kind of like you know, which comes first. And I'm sure it's not quite as simple as one or the other, but, you know, coming first. But I, my, my sense is that if you send the right signal, the right information to a cell, even when it's dying, you can say, hey, mm-hmm. you're not really dying. You need to start acting like you're alive and you're healthy. Then the cell can actually reverse a lot of those self-destructive processes. You know, and and vice versa. So I think I think the signaling is much much more subtle, and I'll tell you why I think this is true. This, I have one piece of data that really is compelling to me. Um, a lot of people were having to pump huge amounts of energy into a person. You know, it, around around the late 1990s and early 2000s, people started building these ever increasingly powerful PEMF systems, right? Because they were trying to charge the cells. They were trying to push energy into the cells, thinking that the more energy they can store, the, the better. But what I did was just the opposite. I kept saying, well, how much of this energy can I take out that's superfluous but still get the biological benefits? And the answer so far has been that I can remove 99.8% of the total energy, but I can retain the signal right? And a signal does require energy, so you can't completely separate those two things. Information does cross over with energy at some level, but what I'm saying is the important component was the information. It was not the total energy. And with 99.8% of the energy removed, I can actually get better biological effects because then I'm sending a clearer signal without excess damaging energy being pumped into the cells. So I think that, you know, based on my experiments and based on my research and based on the theories I'm trying to develop, and once again, I could be wrong, I don't think it's a matter of charging batteries. I think it's a matter of putting the right information into the cell. What other things are needed so that this information is well received? Like, um, 
in all my research, when I've tried, been trying to like look at cellular energy systems and mitochondria and things like this, one of the most important things that I've come across is um, ions such as electrolytes and things like that. Do you think elect having a proper electrical balance between the cell is also important as you're passing PEMF through it? Well, I do think so. This is a question of, of substrates too, right? Like all the PEMF in the world is not going to help you if you don't have access to water, right? Mm-hmm. You have to, yeah. I mean, you can take it to the extreme and you can say, well, PEMF is not a magical cure-all, um, but it works in concert with other substrates. So if you switch a cell from decay into a mode of growth and development, then its metabolic demand, demands will have changed, and large they will, in fact, be considerably higher. I mean, I think that's pretty well agreed upon. And so maybe you know your consumption of of certain substrates, especially things I would think like vitamin D and K two, you know, um, things related to uh, the use of amino acids, right? You know, mm-hmm. um, uh, building protein, these sorts of things. The, the PEMF gives the, the cell, I think, the right kinds of positive growth signals, but then you have to have the right substrates just to make it happen. It doesn't, it doesn't happen magically without them. So let's uh, talk to our listeners about some of those substrates. You mentioned amino acids. Um, what else? Well, this is just so whoever is listening to this can kind of have an idea that what is it really required by the cell before they can think of any treatments or like think of contacting their doctor and going for an EMF because what I like to tell people is that you have to start with the basics first and just understand just understand more about your body about your cells about the biology and just take some basic steps and then half of your problem is going to be healed like that because you can't expect to have like um, burgers all day and then start think of just going to a place and start healing you need to prepare the body for that. Like you mentioned, hydration, amino acids. What are some of the other basic things that the listeners can take away from today's conversation well, that they can focus on? I would make it a general statement that <clears throat> depending on the type of tissue that you're trying to to strengthen or re- regenerate, right, or recover, mm-hmm. um, would give you some guidance as to the type of nutrients you need. Like if you've got a head injury and you're trying to reduce you know, like a, like a TBI or concussion, and you're trying to reduce inflammation and promote uh, regrowth and, and regeneration, I'd be looking at things like uh, omega-3, right? I'd be mm-hmm. looking at things like, you know. Because of the anti-inflammatory effects of omega-3. Yeah, you've got the. And the disbalance of um, currently what the world is going through of omega-6 to omega-3 ratios. Right, right, exactly. And But then again, on the other hand, if you're looking at skin regeneration, you might be looking at, Things that are more, you know, related to generating, you know, keratin, keratinaceous tissues. And and if you're talking about uh, like a major bone loss and major bone regeneration, you know, then maybe you're talking about uh, calcium um, utilization, uh, storage, mobilization. So, you know, D3, K2, magnesium, as well as, you know, enough calcium, although most, most people I think nowadays have, have enough of that. So, you know, yeah, you want to really... I think people I think people these days are overstocking up on calcium and not paying attention to the other most important things, which are, as you mentioned, vitamin D, K2, and magnesium, yeah. all of which have an interplay that can help 
each other. Right. Those seem to work together really well. And, and I guess my point is, as we understand how those substrates help regenerate different tissue systems, right, that's where I would look. Um, I would look for, you know, oh, well, this is, is known to or really thought to be helpful for regenerating this kind of tissue. Um, then, you know, you add that to PEMF. And one of the things that I've found in surveying hundreds of clinicians about this is that PEMF makes almost any other intervention, mainstream medicine, surgeries, all the way to, you know, alternative interventions, it makes every intervention work better. And then the question is, well, how much better, right? And almost uniformly, I can talk to almost any doctor with a lot of experience using PEMF, and they'll tell you that it makes like nutritional interventions, exercise interventions, um, even, you know, gosh, you know, some of these severe radiological cancer treatments, uh, tendon repair surgeries, it, everything across the spectrum works, seems to work about two to three times better. Yeah, think about it. We have like 70 trillion cells and like if those cells can get a little bit of boost. Well, this is the thing. If you're if you're kind of if you're kind of suppressing the negative responses, like let's let's talk about those. Mm -hmm. right? Inflammation is the one that everybody's been talking about for about a decade. Um, yeah. It's related to almost every disease of aging, right? Almost 300 of them. And it's the one thing we can't really do too much about. I mean, you know, um, you know, with with mainstream medicine, but uh, but it makes sense. In it makes sense, kind of uh, uh, evolution from an evolutionary standpoint, right? A million years ago, or half a million years ago, humanity's biggest threat was sepsis. You know, getting getting a bug in you. You know, mm -hmm. getting getting you know septic. So your body hyper responds to any event that could be seen as a breach of your skin. Or, or some kind of a breach that could lead to sepsis. So height, these hyper overdone inflammatory responses are evolutionarily beneficial. But now we have these behavioral things, you know, you get a cut, you know, you clean it out. You know, even if you get a compound mm -hmm. fracture, you can clean that out and it's not really a major infection threat like it would have been, you know, even a hundred years ago. So, so the body physiologically is responding in a way to the biggest threats that are no longer really the biggest threats, right? And, and people are living longer, so this physiologic tuning has started to not be well evolved. I mean, we don't have a long evolutionary history of eighty-year-olds. They're okay. not, you know. So, so when when we're looking at this, you know, part of part of the 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 benefit of PEMF seems to be that it turns off some of these pathological responses, and it simply allows the other responses to injury to be normal. So I would go so far as to say, you know, we can tell almost cer almost 100% certainty PEMF works better and better the older you get. Mm -hmm. It may or may not help you when you're 22, when you're indestructible and everything. But when you're 52, it's immensely helpful. And I think it's really so helpful, not because of what it promotes the body to do necessarily, but also because of the pathologic processes that, are, that we've evolved to use, like like a very rapid immunological sort of response, you know, um, with, uh, with inflammation, it can suppress the pathological part of that. Now it's never been shown that people get more infections when they use PEMF, but there's a whole, you know, pathological overreaction that does cause harm, you know? 
even with COVID, what the big hypothesis really is that the older you get, the more of a of an inflammatory response you have, and that's what's the bigger the cytokine storm. Yeah, the bigger the 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 yeah exactly. So so and it's 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 broader spectrum even than the cytokines that they've been looking at. Like I think bradykinin's the one that was suspected for a while. It's not the typical ones you look at research-wise. Mm-hmm. But yeah, as you get older, you're more susceptible to these these physiologic responses. They're perfectly natural, but they're no longer helpful, right? But there's a very clear effect, and I can say this because I've paid for independent research several times in independent research labs. PEMF applied the way that I've defined it reduces inflammation measurably, and it does so in independent testing laboratories. That it, it just is. I mean, I have raw data on it. We've repeated it. It's, there's a dose response curve. It's for real. PEMF can reduce inflammation. And when you reduce inflammation, I don't think you need to do too much else to accelerate healing. I think healing at a normal mm-hmm. rate, healing when you're about 22 is sort of the normal rate. But if you're like 50, you no longer get access to that normal rate. Being able to yep. go back to your healing rate when you were in your 20s is literally miraculous if you're 55. But I think that's what happens with PEMF if it's properly applied is it stops a lot of those pathologic responses and allows you to just ha- just heal naturally. You see what I'm saying? So it's kind of the converse yeah. of what people are thinking. It's not necessarily that it's energizing and empowering cells. What I think it's largely doing is preventing your cellular response from being harmful. And then just the, the remaining natural healing responses are you know, fairly miraculous when you actually look at them. Also, when you look at it now, more people are living lifestyles which don't allow or actually do allow their bodies to get hyper-inflamed or yep. just go on a constant part of inflammation. So I think in this time, this is probably one of the best interventions that can come over, especially for people who are kind of above 40, 50, 60, because as you mentioned, right, your body isn't going to do the same things that it would do when you're 30. So in your practice, do you see a lot of, or the kind of data that you see, do you see a lot of people above the age of, what, 40, 50, who are stepping up and going to the doctor and telling them, like, or ordering one of the PMF machines? Or do you see data in some sports people? Because I know a lot of people in the sports industry, um, basketball players, football players, they have um, some evidences of showing that in their locker room, they have like these mini PEMF devices and they're kind of biohacking their way to lesser injuries with those. Well, okay, so let me clear up a couple of things. I don't have a practice. I'm not a clinician. I'm yeah, a yeah, I'm sorry. I just meant that uh, what you see. I just want to make it clear to the listener. I don't have yeah. a practice, so I don't have patients. I'm not licensed to, to practice. The other thing is that most PEMF that's commercial, including the ones that I've developed, are not FDA approved because that process takes, it can take up to 15 or 20 years. So Mm -hmm. it's like many other things. I mean, there are a couple of PEMF devices that are FDA approved. So, uh, but they're very, very old technology and they don't work very well. That's the irony. The more that you regulate something, the longer, the more you focus on FDA approval, the less you focus on the innovation necessary so you know people want it to be safe and effective that's that's perfectly reasonable but the way i as a scientist make it safe and effective is that i do experiments on it and make sure you know in 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 a controlled environment that it is safe and effective but the regulatory um 
approval does not necessarily make things safe and effective. Think for, I can say one word, opioids. Okay. Opioids were approved as safe and effective and it turns out they're neither. Right. So, um, you know, depends on who you talk to. Depends on who you talk to. I mean, I've had to use it. That's how I got off opioids. But they're not effective in the sense of mm -hmm. stopping the source of pain. They can stop you yeah. being in screaming, you know, like crippling pain acutely. That's where they should be used. But they should not be used as a as a sort of chronic treatment because we know that that has really bad effects, right? So, mm -hmm. so yeah, it's like, and there are many physicians now who think that it's like you know they're not even more effective necessarily than than other things you could do and they're certainly not safe so you know fda approval is important uh, but it's also misleading and um the pemf devices that i've developed are you know they they put less energy into your body than than a cell phone right but not cell phones yeah. aren't safe because they're at the wrong frequency well the frequencies that i'm using are are you know are eight or nine orders of magnitude lower. So they're well into the safe range. And if you look at any international standards for safety, it's it's like by thousands or tens of thousands reduction way into the safe range. Um, you know, not everybody will agree, but uh, but that's the, you know, that's it's always going to be that way. Everybody's, you know, there's always going to be something where someone disagrees. So with all of that said, um, yeah, there are sports teams that use our devices and other PEMF systems. Um, there's a large um, orthopedic surgical group that, that uses our stuff regularly because they say it, uh, it increases healing speed by a factor of two or three. It's not FDA approved, but the doctors there prescribe it or they recommend it to their patients because it improves the, the healing rate and the quality of, of like, for example, tendon and ligament repair by a factor of two or three. And it's like, I think it's over a hundred doctors using it, you know? So there's, you know, when doctors use things like that, they're, they're licensed to do that. Even if it's not FDA approved, you know, doctors will use FDA approved stuff off license. You know, a, a medication may be approved and, you know, for one thing and they use it for something completely different. So there's a whole spectrum of, you know, what different, physicians and doctors think is safe and beneficial for their patients. And mm -hmm. um, I think it's good that, you know, some of them can step up and say, well, you know, it's clear that this is safe. It's clear that this is helpful. And that's kind it's of been working for so many people. Yeah. That's the space that PEMF operates in right now. There's a lot of PEMF devices out there. Like essentially, if you can buy it on the internet, you're not getting an FDA approved device, basically speaking, because the FDA requires a prescription. So if you can just get on the internet and buy it, doesn't matter what their web page says, it's basically not FDA approved. Um, so then your question is, you know, are you getting this from some, it's like anything else, like exercise equipment. You know, there are industrial standards for everything, including exercise equipment, mm -hmm. but you don't check those standards to see if something's safe. You know, you go with reputable manufacturers and those people want to make stuff that's effective and safe and people are going to buy it, right? So, um you know that's kind of that's kind of where you are, and in terms of the regulatory space, PEMF is is largely unregulated, and, and it's my opinion that a lot of people use way too much. But PEMF is so robustly effective, and it's so it in my opinion it's so safe. I mean, you know, you can read a thousand, you can you can scour the the 
medical literature, and it's very hard to find any negative statement about whether or not PEMF is actually you know harmful. There's almost no indication of it, and I can guarantee you as a researcher, if you could show that it was harmful, there'd be 10,000 papers about it, but you, but you can't because there's just not repeatable evidence that, that it's harmful. And yet there's a thousand papers or more that you can find easily on the internet. It's peer-reviewed scientific papers showing that it's beneficial for all kinds of things, like you said at the beginning, ranging from depression and urinary incontinence to uh, bone and tendon regeneration and, and healing and, and pain, chronic pain. So, you know, I've used one for sleep as well. I remember I was in one of the biohacking conferences and I cannot remember the name of the company, but essentially they had this PMF mat, which they let me lie down on for, and they ran a cycle for 15 minutes. And then that cycle, I felt super relaxed. Um, I had some, some minor muscular pain just from working out and that seemed to ease up a little bit as well. Well, it's really interesting because I've, I've talked to a lot of people about this and everybody asks me, you know, will it help? And this is where I think, you know, a guy like you would, would agree with me on this, that the first things you do are an intelligent uh, intervention on your habits and your environment, right? You exclude blue mm -hmm. lights, you make sure you're sleeping in a comfortable place, that you maintain a reasonable circadian rhythm and that you are eating the right things and you're doing the right things. Then that's where you start. Right, but where I don't think you should start is trying to force yourself to sleep, like flipping yourself on and off like a switch. I don't think that that's the right way to do it. But a lot of people try to use PEMF. You know, they want to have a, a, a lifestyle where they can go at 110 percent and eat potato chips, and you know, and have blue light streaming into their into their bedroom, and then they can flip a switch and eat oh, no. hours of sleep. And then get back up again on a Sunday and go back for another 14 hours of work, you know, in a bad The quick fix. The quick fix. And it just, I don't think it works. I don't think PEMF lets that, I don't think PEMF forces that to happen. I view PEMF more as a permissive thing that sends the right information to your cells. And then if you're doing mostly everything else reasonably, then it's very helpful. But it doesn't fix it when you have a lot of bad habits, <laughs> you know. And sleep, I think, is one of those things. And then even if you have taken care of all these other things, I've actually been involved in many conversations where people openly argue about, uh, you know, clinicians who know about this, clinicians who have sleep clinics. I've, I've watched them argue about this. And they'll say, oh, you have to use alpha waves or you have to use theta waves or you have to use delta waves. And they'll, they'll get into this argument among themselves. And they'll say, well, this one works better or that one works better. And the answer is, I think it depends on, on how your brain works. And I, I think that brainwave entrainment is not well understood. And I think that individual responses vary. And some things that make some people a little bit agitated, other people will find kind of calming and vice versa, right? So I think it's sort of like, you know, what kind of music do you like to listen to when you go to sleep? And people vary. I don't think there's any magical single silver bullet for that. But I do think that PEMF can certainly can certainly help. I think one of the best sort of demonstrations of this was there was a truck driver I knew. He was he's well, that was actually two people. One of them was a traveling salesman. One was a truck driver, and they couldn't sleep at all. They could like just couldn't get sleep, and they used PEMF, and it reduced their pain. And by reducing their pain, they were both able to get excellent sleep. So it's not like it 
necessarily did anything to their brain waves. It's just simply allow relax them to put them in a state of relaxation by that, reducing pain by reducing pain right so i think everybody's struggling who's struggling with sleep is struggling for their own individual reasons and and to the extent that pemf can help alleviate those i think you know it's great to use it right but there's i don't think there's one size fits all okay your company flux health also um, makes a device called the brain gorge right can you tell us a bit more about it sure absolutely um, um you want me to to tell you something or do you have specific just uh just describe it for me because okay. um, i found it very interesting so i just want my yeah. listeners to kind of get an idea that what it is exactly it's called a brain gauge and it's it's shaped like a computer mouse so everybody thinks it's a computer mouse and it should be 14 bucks like a like a logitech mouse but it's not it's actually a laboratory in the shape of a computer mouse because it allows the computer to talk to your hand all right and it stimulates mechanically just vibrating your skin but it vibrates your skin in a very precise way the very better than one micron displacement control so we can tell the difference between for example 100 microns which is a millionth of a meter versus 101 micron we can tell the difference between that and then we use that to um send different combinations of symbol of signals into the brain and they they invoke different brain functions like your brain has all kinds of different functions like like timing um you know like how long does something take or what order do things occur in or how quickly can you change your sensitivity to your environment you know your stimulatory environment there's 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 a number of different ways we can do things by having different amplitudes and different frequencies of stimulus and then we stimulate two different fingertips right on on your hand you know index and middle finger and then we 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 sort of have those two talking to each other because they're on adjacent brain points okay we have those yeah. two talking to each other on the brain so what it does is it gives you the equivalent of being able to go in and open up a person's skull and actually stimulate and look at those two points on the brain but you don't have to hurt anybody at all you can just stimulate directly through their fingertips and the reason this works is because on your skin when you look at your skin with relationship to your brain there is literally a single point to single point correlation between your skin and how it maps onto your brain okay there is no such single point to single point correlation for sight for hearing for smell for any of the other senses so they don't allow you to do single point stimulation in the brain but by by stimulating a single point on your fingertip we can stimulate a single point on your brain and then we can look at how your brain interprets those signals so that's kind of the science right the upshot is that it allows you to test different functions in your brain that are located in different places like in your cerebellum your you know coordination and timing versus you know other sorts of processes that happen in other parts of the brain and uh, we can tell you whether or not they're working so the you know or how well they're working and we can assign a number to it and we've tested more than 10,000 people now with it and it uh, you know we have this huge relational database so that we can take any individual can go ahead and take their test and we can tell you where you stand with respect to you know 10,000 other people is your brain function you know in the normal range or not and um you know very very subtle effects we can detect like we can 
we can detect very small injuries to the head. Um, like a lot of people don't understand that the definition of a mild traumatic brain injury, the definition of a simple concussion, is that you cannot see it on an MRI. You can't see it. That's the definition of it. You can see there's clinical effects, but you can't visualize them on, a, on an image. But you can detect them using the brain gauge because the brain gauge maps out your brain, not does not anatomically map it out. It maps it out functionally, right? It's looking at how well the brain is functioning, which is different, right, than, than how it's mapped out anatomically. Like if you get a computer virus, right, you can take a picture of the inside of your computer. It's not going to help you, you know, diagnose that virus. It's a functional problem in your software. It's not an architectural problem in how things are wired in your, in your computer. And that's been the huge mistake that people make is that they think, oh, if I take a picture of my brain, I can see the injury. No, that's not how it works, for, especially for mild injuries where there's no lesion. So what you need is a functional measurement of the brain, not an anatomic measurement. And that's what the brain gauge gives you is a functional quantitative measure of brain function. The reason why I wanted to bring this up was because when I was looking at your website and I was looking at it, I was really amazed by what all it can do. And especially, I'm glad that you mentioned that it just looks like a computer mouse um, because it, when you look at things like this, it really excites me on how far we have come with technology and how many things are we able to learn by the help of science and technology together to enhance human performance or just to deal with things like, you know, concussions, just telling people how better are they when compared to everyone else. So I found it really exciting and I wanted to share that with the audience. Now, for people who are listening and after our conversation, they decide that they want to try PEMF or more than that, just jump on and buy a small PEMF device. So how much do these devices cost? I'm well, sure there are so many companies that are doing it, but what did, what did they start with? Well, so, so, so this is a good question. When people see the brain gauge, they think it's a computer mouse and all they need is software. And so people are like, well, I just need the software. Sell me the software and I'll just buy a cheap mouse. And it's not a mouse at all. It's actually, mm -hmm. it's, a, it's an electromechanical laboratory in, packed into the shape of a mouse. It took us 12 years. The original one of the brain gauge was the size of a refrigerator. And all of that and more is packed into a computer mouse using modern technology. So that's technology. what you're, you're, wow. not, you're not buying a computer mouse. You're buying a laboratory. The reason it's shaped like a mouse is because that's a really good shape for you to hold in your hand and use your fingertips and then connect to a computer. So it looks exactly like a mouse, but it's not. It's, it's about a refrigerator-sized laboratory, neurophysiological laboratory that's condensed into a computer mouse, right? Now, that said, the average person looks at a computer mouse and they think, oh, should be 14 bucks, right? But they look at PEMF and most people are, who've, who've looked for it online, especially 10 or 12 years ago or, or longer, they're thinking, oh, okay, that should cost about 10 or 20 or $50,000. So the expectation when you see a PEMF machine is that it's going to cost tens of thousands of dollars, but it doesn't have to. Those are the highly overpowered ones that are way overpriced. Um, I think that a decent PEMF, my goal was always to reduce it to, you know, under a thousand dollars. 
And so our current PEMF systems, the, the portable ones, are all, you know, four to five, $550, $600. And there's a huge amount of technology that gets crunched into that. You know, as we sell more and more of them, the price would probably come down. Um, but then again, you know, look at cell phones. Self, I mean, like smartphones. Have, mm-hmm. You know, part of it is that they're really hard to build, believe it or not. And, um, you know, part of it is that, I mean, they sell billions of them. Um, but still, the price of a good smartphone is up there. It's a few hundred dollars, right? Um, so the thing is that our um, the brain gauge costs about the same as our portable PEMF. It's about 500 bucks. But when we go to medical conferences, people are very interested in the PEMF because, geez, that should cost something like that should cost, you know, $5,000. And here it is for 500 but then, you know, you look at the brain gauge and you go, oh, that's a computer mouse. And, and they look at the same price tag, $500. They think it's outrageous, right? When in fact, mm-hmm. believe it or not, it's, as, it, it's equally as sophisticated as a PEMF device. So, you know, yeah, you're probably for, there are a couple of PEMF devices out there. I won't name them, but you'll know them when you see them. They're like maybe $200 or less. And those are, um, those are pretty bad pirated versions and people tend to give very bad ratings on them you know very bad reviews because they don't work really well they don't and they don't have anybody there who's really doing real science so when you when you buy a brain gauge you're buying you know about 50 you know between mark tomerall who worked on it for about 35 years and then i've worked on it you know for another 15 years so you're buying you know 50 years worth of research that's being condensed down into that um, with a lot of, you know, pretty high cost, very super precise technology goes into it. And it looks like, and it sort of feels like a computer mouse, but it's not. Uh, Same thing with PEMF. I mean, I've been working on this for a long time. And, um, you know, when, when I build them, we bought, we use only the best components that, you know, we can buy. And we, we, triple check all of them and we give really good, you know, warranty support and everything like that. And so that's, you know, that's what you're paying for. You're paying for a device that can really be a a life changer if you're somebody, especially who has chronic pain. So I get asked about every disease state, right? And you probably know, you know, in, uh, you know, if you're looking at the Vedic traditions, like the Indian Vedic traditions, they they recognize Mm -hmm. 11,000 different disease states. If you look at mainstream Western medicine, mainstream Western medicine recognizes only about 7,000, maybe 7,500 roughly. But how many diseases can we actually, you know, and this includes broken bones and infections and cancer and everything. So how many diseases can Western medicine actually treat effectively? And it's less than 500. So out of more than 7,000, mainstream Western medicine can only treat about 500. Interestingly, if you look at so people are asking me about all of these things all the time. Can PMF do this and that and the other thing? And if you think of the fact that Western medicine in its 200 years has only tackled about 500 of them and it's done some of them pretty poorly, you can start to see the scope of the problem here. But interestingly, PEMF seems to be effective for at least two or 300 different, and this is based on published research, you know, at least two or 300 different problems. And they seem to be largely different from the ones that mainstream medicine can treat. For example, PEMF seems to be very, very good for chronic pain and inflammation. Mainstream Western medicine is not, right? And yep. that's why chronic pain... At least, at least that's what we've been seeing for all these years. And that's why chronic pain is the largest 
medical condition facing the, the Western world, right? It's larger in terms of number of people afflicted. Chronic pain is larger than everyone with cancer. Chronic pain and inflammation. Yeah, much bigger than much bigger than than cancer, diabetes, heart disease, and stroke. You can add them all together and double it, and that's about the number of people who suffer with chronic pain. It's amazing. And it's because Western medicine doesn't accept and doesn't doesn't recognize anything that's effective against it. They think that you want to take drugs to block the signal. The assumption there is that your pain signal is just erroneous and it's okay to just turn it off. But I think that you can test this. You can you can ask even a child. I asked my four-year-old daughter. She was in a preschool. I said, if you hear a fire alarm, what's the right thing to do? Do you get up and you know, safely leave the building? Do you do something about it? Or do you put in earplugs? Right? And even a child knows when you hear an alarm, you should pay attention to it enough that you do something. And pain is an alarm. It's not just a spurious signal that you want to ignore. And all the evidence that I've ever seen is if you take drugs or do anything else to turn that signal off, then your long-term effect is more tissue damage and more disability. And the interesting thing about PEMF, the, I think the most interesting thing is that it doesn't seem to turn the signal off. It seems to have a very, very persistent long-term effect to stop the source of the pain, to, to allow tissue to recover. And it does not just switch it off. And that's why when you're using PEMF, the effect's not immediate, but it's very long-lasting. It's not like TENS where you're just, you know, overwhelming the nervous system and you can't feel it anymore because you're just happy to turn off that being shocked all the time. Uh, and it's not like opioids. It's a completely different, fundamentally different mechanism that actually deals with the source of the pain, which I think is is a pathological inflammation. And that's the data that we see. Yeah, I'm sure I definitely agree with that. And very well said. Thank you so much for um, describing it in such great detail. I'm sure the audience is um, would want to do their own research now about PMF, and this has sparked a lot of interest and I really appreciate you doing all the work for all these years and providing us with the technology, the solution, the science that can help improve the quality of lives of people and take away all these nasty things that we don't really want in our society. Now, Robert, um, I really appreciate you being on the show. If the audience wants to learn more about you, what's the best way they can find you, your work, your company? Is there one source that you can... Yeah. Like us too. yeah, thanks for asking. And I just want to thank you for trying to, to increase awareness here because I do think this is a really important technology. I mean, my actual personal goal is that your children and my children and our grandchildren will have access to this technology in the future. That's what I'm working for, is that I'm into that. to have this and it will be a tool they can use for their own health. So, so I'm trying to put a big enough, persistent enough footprint on the internet that uh, that there's no way that anybody could squelch it. And in fact, there's at least five or six PEMF companies that directly pirate my designs and my technology that I developed from NASA. And that's, you know, that's okay. I tolerate that because that gets it out to more people, right? I just, I usually will do something if I think they're abusing people, but if all they're doing is stealing from me, but they're helping other people, that's fine with me. So, so how do you get a hold of me directly? I can actually answer your questions directly if you join our forum. I check the forum probably three times a day. The forum is is you go to the forum at fluxhealth.co, not .com, 
It's fluxhealth, F-L-U-X-H-E-A-L-T-H dot C-O. And um, just get on the forum, sign up there, and you can ask a question. And then people on the forum who have experience with it can answer it. There's a lot of things I can't answer because I don't know. And I've just never, you know, I'm on my number one research subject is myself because I've really, I used to have really bad back pain because I had an injury as a firefighter, believe it or not. And I basically got crippled. And so I really, about 10 years ago, I turned this into a technology that has reduced my pain level to zero. In fact, I'm wearing one right now. So I'm, you know, I have to wear PMF. That's why I made portable ones. It helps me and it helps many thousands of other people. Every day I get emails from people saying, you know, thank you, thank you, right? But I, I respond to everybody. They get on the forum and you can ask me, ask a question, you know, just put at Bob on there. And I, I always check to see if somebody's posted somewhere else without notifying me. And I answer the question. A lot of times people ask me about, you know, other PEMF devices. And you have to understand that other PEMF devices, the ones that I don't make, they're not regulated and they're not standardized. So it's really hard to say what they're doing. And they and a lot of them, at least three or four other PEMF companies competing with me, have actually asked me to help them characterize their devices, which I always do, because they don't really know what signal they're putting out. And that's just a fact. So there's a huge amount of fraud in the PEMF world. And people hate hate it when I say that. But I'm not saying their stuff doesn't work. What I'm saying is they don't understand it. Do you see what I'm saying? There's a difference there. And mm-hmm. so, you know, my whole thing is that I'm, I'm just as open and honest as I can be. I accept the fact that sometimes I'm probably wrong. But I try to be, you know, if, if I have to change my opinion because I was wrong, I will do that. But what I try to do is give people the, the armor, the mental armor they need so that they won't be sucked in by some fraudulent claims. And I just tell people right out front, you know, um, what, what you can believe scientifically and what you can't. And, um, you know, um, there was a guy who wanted to argue about something. And, you know, I just I told him, you know, here's the resources you need to look at because misinformation now is a huge problem that we all face. Public, you know, Internet misinformation and there are certain things you can do to protect yourself from that and i try to give people those tools and i talk directly with people right on the forum about this so yeah you can join the forum and then if you want to you can uh you know search my name if you search robert dennis or bob dennis and pemf on the internet you'll find a lot i think i've posted 150 or so youtube videos some are very technical and some are very sort of... Yes, all your content, if people want to take a deep, deep dive, I've gone through some of those, and wow, I really commend you for putting all those up because, man, I do a lot of content as well, but putting things like that isn't easy, so kudos to you. Yeah, well, you know, I'm, I'm just trying to put it out there so that people can can find it if they want it. You know, and it's probably, I think about it now, it's probably like too much. There's too much information because in the end, Um, You know, it's not like you need to know how the gasoline or the electric engine in your car works, but you need to know that it does work and that it can be used safely. And it's the same thing, I think, with PEMF. There's 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 this belief that if you can just learn the physics of it, that if you can just find the secret paper and the secret frequency that you, and the secret explanation, that you can understand it. And the fact is, we just really don't know 
exactly why it works, but we do know that it does work, and we do know that certain types work a lot better than other types. And if you get a good PMF manufacturer that admits that and says, well, this, you know, some people can't take that. They're like, no, I have to, I have to know why it works. And that's why you see from the drug companies, they publish this information on the chemical structure and all that stuff. They actually don't know how most of these drugs work. They just, but they can measure the chemical structure and they can act like they know a lot about it when they don't. And so I refuse to do that with PMF. All I say is we know certain types of it seem to really work. The physics makes sense but the biology half of the equation is not yet fully understood. And that's just a fact. And mm -hmm. so you can choose either to use it or not use it. And that's, you know, you have to, I think a lot of it comes down to, do, you know, do people think I'm honest or not? And, you know, compare me with, with whoever you want to compare me with. That's fine. But just be aware of the fact that, that I'm a scientist. Okay. And a lot of the people who tell you these other facts, they're just marketers. And so my, you know, I'm a scientist, I'm a professor, I'm an engineer. My, my whole uh, profession is geared towards making the world a better place and educating people. And if you're talking to a marketer, their whole profession is geared towards getting you to write a big check for some product. Sales and sales, that's what they're all about. That's what they're all about, man. That's the deal. So, you know, sometimes I have to tell people things they don't want to hear. Um, like the truth is we don't know, or the truth is it doesn't work that way, you know, but you know what? That's just, I could be wrong, but hearing the truth is like good medicine sometimes. I appreciate that you're at least honest because a lot of the times you would, um, you would hear things that people would just say it just in case, you know, they just keep on saying things and that probably isn't right. So no information is better than having an information which is not 100% true. Well, it's a little bit more than no information. It's like the actual active acceptance of the fact that you don't know something is quite a bit different than just not knowing it and pretending, you know, that you do or just not knowing it, not even knowing that you don't know it. You know what I'm saying? It's the the biological effects of PMF are a known unknown. We know that we do not know how it works. And, and that's okay because most most medications are that way. Most most things, you know, we still don't know exactly how exercise works. We just don't. I studied exercise physiology for many years. We understand part of it. We understand what seems to work better than other things, but we don't understand exactly how it works at a molecular level. We're gaining knowledge on that. It gets better every year. But, you know, there's still some pretty big unknowns. But it doesn't mean you shouldn't exercise right? It means you should. You should do it in a way that we know is helpful. But we're, we're learning about it as we go. It's the same thing with PEMF. You know, we know it's, there's abundant evidence that it's not harmful, that it can be very helpful. Uh, we just, you know, the physics makes sense. The engineering makes sense. We just don't quite yet understand the biology of it. And that's okay. Yeah, that's okay. Sometimes you don't really have to know everything because I would rather... Um I would rather take a step and learn whatever is available. And if I know that it's been shown in so many studies and like just anecdotally, people have been giving good reviews about it, then chances are it will work. But if you no. wait for the science and right. the authorities to come up and say that, oh, now we're sure that it works, that'll probably take them five years or 10 years. But that doesn't mean you have to keep yourself away from using it for your benefit or for your loved one's benefit. 
at this point. It'll take a lot more than five or ten years for PEMF because it's it's there. It's like many other things. I could get into this whole thing. There's whole areas of science and medicine where where just systematically we don't recognize that as being legitimate, and so people don't do research in it, and so it never really advances. And that's a whole book you can read about these kinds of things, and it's it's a problem. So yeah, I wouldn't wait for the science of it. I would say you know. I mean, if you know that organic foods are, are healthy and good for you, I would start eating them now, and I wouldn't wait for proof in 25 years, you know. I would, I would, exactly. it, it's just like that, right? So, you know, um, you know, you want to be careful and you want to not get involved. It, I think the advice you gave earlier, just a minute ago, is exactly right. You know, what do your friends and family, maybe your, your, your clinician or, you know, somebody who's your coach or your, you know, your whatever, what do those people use? What do they recommend? And, and how do they feel about it? And, you know, it's it with PEMF, it's not just does the device work, but does the company stand behind it? Do you get good, you know, customer service after you've made the purchase? If they vanish all of a sudden, then that tells you something about the company and their product, right? So, you know, yeah, you, 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 I think that the, the best way to do this is to, to decide what kind of PMF works for you is to, is to ask other people and then think about their biases. Like, you know, I sell these things, so I have a bias, right? I think the ones that I'm selling are the best because that's what I want to have for myself and my family and my friends. You know, that's, that's why I do it that way. Other people like a clinician might have a $40,000 PMF system and a whole room dedicated to it. So if you ask for their opinion, they have a reason to tell you that their system works best because they they they, they couldn't stand the cognitive dissonance of knowing they spent forty thousand dollars on something that doesn't work that well. So you always want to take that into account, right? But once you've taken that into account, if you if you get enough opinions on it, you, you get enough feedback, um, yeah, that's probably the best way to buy a PEMF system. So then that's about it. Do your research, look Talk to friends and family and probably someone else that you know who has used things like this. Read a few reviews on the internet. And if you want, go to Rob's website and dig into the science. Again, once again, thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, thank you. You have a great day ahead of you. Excellent. You too. I wish you a good day. All right. Take care. Bye-bye. Okay. Talk to you.